Welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. I'm your host, Matthew Thompson. I'm Tanner Higgins. I'm Mason Simmons. And we're, we're coming off of the high of eating something very unique. Uh, we didn't want to capture on audio because who on earth wants to hear us eat on Crunch, on crunch. We're, we're not an ASMR channel. Nobody wants channel. that. Nope. Uh, but uh, Mason, what, what did we just get finished eating? Tanner was gracious enough to find us some Israeli locusts and honey. It's called Biblical Protein. Ready no. to eat Israel Israeli locusts. Yeah, we're we're totally open to sponsorship. Uh, <laughs> it's totally not sponsored. Protein. If if you're out there listening to us, because I I would absolutely. You don't you don't have to pay me to eat those. Like just just send them to me for free, and I'll, I'll consider receiving like that. I was not expecting to enjoy them as much as I did. But you see, Christians we're we're hardcore. Um, back in the day, you know, plagues scared people, but we're out here eating them. You know, if we want to eat plagues, you know, we're just like downing what fire and brimstone and I mean, frogs and plagues and blood. Yeah, that's the next one. We right? should have had a cup of blood to go with it. How do I eat darkness? <laughs> <laughs> but if you wanted to see the video, it's on. It should be on social media from Instagram or Facebook or whatever. So that should be interesting if you want to poke fun of us. Mason hated it. That's for sure. <laughs> okay, I went back and rewatched it just to see if I had an expression. Luckily, I didn't give off any about to throw up no. expressions because it wasn't that bad. No. Um, but it was kind of... It, it was it was better than I expected. I will say that. Okay. Okay. But like I said before we started the recording, if I could have had like the torso and up of the locust, I'd been fine. But once I got to the, the wings and the legs, it was just okay. kind of like, Ugh. Honey was great, though. Well, oh, yeah. you're, you're honey more, was delicious. You're closer to John the Baptist than most people today, though. There you go. You've got, I would have just bit the, head, the heads and the chest off of them and <laughs> left I mean, the tails for somebody else. look more hardcore, so that's that's fun. There's, but uh, not, to, not to go on that too much because we do have one more thing uh, to talk about before we get into today's scripture reading. Um, Tanner, you'd be best suited to talk about this because you, you actually have the information. Uh, someone's podcast dropped yeah, that, we, that yeah. we discussed um, goodness, several weeks ago. Yeah. So Adam Clagg, uh, him and a buddy of his, Brandon Johns, uh, they started a podcast called Every Pastor's Podcast, Every Pastor Podcast. And what they do is it's a you know short podcast for uh, young pastors, bivocational pastors, and try to discuss to help them out. It's not really... They said they're not really talking about deep theological stuff, but more of practical use for uh, pastors, first-time pastors, young pastors, small church pastors to kind of help guide them on their journey and and shepherding a flock. So that that podcast dropped. So I mean, definitely go check them out on uh, all the platforms of podcasting. So yeah. every pastor's podcast, every pastor podcast. Yeah, and Adam. Clag, he gave a, a little bit of his own summary, too, that you might remember from, I believe it was episode 14, uh, titled Family Ministry with Adam Clagg, which actually dropped on July 4th. I didn't realize that was such a timely episode drop on our part. There you go. So, so go us, dropping on holidays. <laughs> uh, but check them out. I'll try to make sure that I put the link to their podcast in the show notes, and you can check those guys out. But... On to the topic at hand. Today we have a monumental task because we in, we completely intend to go through the entirety of John chapter 6 today. And that's, I believe, 72 verses. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes down in John chapter 6. A lot of good, juicy stuff, too. So, Yeah, and of course, this being a deep dive, it's easy to just kind of get into that like mindset of, okay, we have to read every single verse. Uh, and I understand the value in that. 
But when we come to a chapter like John chapter 6, where you have the story of uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000 and uh, Jesus walking on water, these are stories that, yes, we can absolutely take some verses and talk about them, and we will. But we want to not brush over those, but kind of compartmentalize those stories that take place between verses uh, 1 and 21 and use those as a lens to look at the rest of the chapter. Because having those stories in mind, in my opinion, is critical in understanding like where Jesus is coming from when he's talking in verses 22 uh, through 71. Uh, and if we cut this um, chapter in half, do the two miracles today, and then next week record on 22 through 71, I think some of that impact will kind of be not Lost. there. Yeah. yeah, It needs to be fresh in our minds. So I think uh, this was talked about before the recording, so I mean, we've all agreed on this already. But the way we want to handle this is talk about um, the two miracles kind of in short form and really focus in on Jesus' words in verses 22 through 71 because um, miracles, they, they get the spotlight. And I mean, rightfully so. I mean, miracles are awesome. It's what legitimized Jesus to a lot of people. Um, and I mean, he said himself, like, blessed are those that have not seen but still believe. Um, but of course, seeing a miracle is it's pretty effective marketing. Well, let's be honest here. Um, so looking at that, like so many people will hone in on those verses in John chapter six. So really this is more us wanting to shine a spotlight on an area of John chapter six that we feel a lot of people might be missing out on. Yeah. We're, cr- we're crunching all this, crunching all this, this stuff into one compact locus of protein. <laughs> I was waiting for the locus metaphor. Yeah, was no, there you go. So the first part uh, is really one of the biggest stories that we've we've all heard before in the feeding of the five thousand. And uh, John, I want to point this out to y'all. I don't know if you knew this or not, but John is the only book in the Synoptic Gospels that makes mention of a young boy. Did you know this? I didn't, but I did. I did take note of the boy being mentioned. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. that's interesting. Well, John is the only book out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that makes mention of the young lad, the young boy with the the fish and the loaves of bread, in verse nine. Now, the story. Here we go. I'm just going to you know give a little synopsis of the the situation here. So Jesus, he's preaching before five thousand plus people. You know, it says 5,000 men, and it's not taken into consideration of the women that could be with the men and the children with the family and stuff like that. So there's well over probably 10,000 people there, 10 to 15, uh, depending on how many people were there, but a lot. And so Jesus is teaching and preaching to these people, and they're like, okay, they're hungry. And the disciples are like thinking, well, how in the world are we going to feed them? There's no way that we're going to be able to feed them with the little money that we have. We're not going to be able to feed ten to 15,000. There's no way. And there was a little boy, it says here, is that this, this young lad gave his food to Jesus, gave his food to the disciples. And this type of food, this fish and loaves of bread, was kind of like a bologna sandwich in this in the first century. So it's just like kind of like a cheap man's young, young you know, something like you, you all got bologna sandwiches and ham sandwich, ham and cheese sandwiches growing up. This is like this for him. And what's what do you think? Why was the significance that John brought this up? I was kind of curious and what you all thought. Why do you think that John uh, made mention of the young boy, but then you get someone that's so analytical like Luke, but he doesn't make, but Luke doesn't mention it. Well, you got to keep in mind, um, John establishes that he wrote um, the gospel that he got got to write, the, the book of John to 
establish that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see God's character just oozing out of every verse. Like, that's that's the sole purpose here. I mean, the other Gospels do accomplish that, don't get me wrong, but that's the sole purpose here. So you got to keep in mind that this, this is the lens through which John is dictating these stories. Yeah. So what that tells me with this, this little boy that offers up, um, just, goodness, how many, how many loaves was it? Five loaves, I believe. And three fish. Uh, and three fish, yeah. Uh, this is an example of a servant, someone who is very low on the totem pole. I mean, it's a child. I mean, people don't, I mean, it's almost like the, the woman at the well again. Like, this is someone that society isn't going to take very seriously. It's just a kid doing kid stuff. Who cares? But this small offering that this boy is able to bring up that, that, that seems insignificant. I mean, you can't feed 15,000 people with five loaves of bread and three fish. Like a bologna sandwich. Sorry, I got bologna sandwiches and locusts. You know, the bologna sandwich and locusts. The side of chips. Well, that's good. <laughs> but, but even with just such a seemingly insignificant, borderline insulting, like it's so small, if you, if you think about it. Um, I mean, I'm sure the Pharisees could rip that apart if you gave them an opportunity to. And yet Jesus can take that and show the world, hey, I'm, I'm the real deal here. And there is actually a verse that points that out. In verse 14, like after this miracle takes place and people are fed and then there's stuff left over, uh, verse 14 says, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So, I mean, again, that just goes the whole nine yards in like describing this is who Jesus is. This mm. is who the Son of God is. Yeah. He Not only is he this unexpected servant, but like when he has this opportunity to be hailed as a king, he, he doesn't just like brush it aside. He flees it. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is 100% not what he wants to be seen as. It's not why he came to earth. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that illustrates that. Let's focus in on 14 and 15 a little bit because, uh, you know, when this, read, read 14 again one more time. Verse 14 says, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So with a lot of these people, they could probably uh, relate back all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. It says that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And so this is Moses that is saying, you know, that the Lord will raise a prophet one day that is coming from your brothers, that is greater than me. You better listen to him. And he's referring automatically to Christ. And this time, I bet you the the people that are listening to this, they're thinking back to what Moses said. It's like this must be the prophet. I mean, he's he's our, he's from our own people, so he must be the guy that we must listen to. And their picture of this prophet is a little bit different than what Christ really is. The picture that he that that they want him to be is a ruling king, as someone that comes with their little scepter, their sword. And, and and has come to uh, defeat the Roman Empire and slay and conquer in that form. But I think that's one reason why Jesus fled and and, and went away. It's like I I did not come to rule that way at all. And they wanted a worldly king like before because you know that's why judges was such a big issue because in Joshua they were just like we don't want a prophet. We don't want God to be our king. We want somebody to be our king. We want we want we want Saul, we want David as our king. We want all these people, someone, a human, to be our king instead of God Himself. And so that's why I think that Jesus was like, "No, y'all screwed this up in the past. Y'all screwed this up before, as uh, as a ruler, as a king. So I am king, but yet I'm not going to rule the way that you think I'm going to rule." 
Yeah, and that concept rings just as true today as it did way back then. Because, I mean, you yes. have plenty of people these days that still look and look to the Old Testament and see this supposedly bloodthirsty, murderous, conquering God. And they're like, oh, that's that's the God that, that we follow there. He he endorses our wars. He, he endorses the things that we claim to do in the name of God because uh, there's violence in the Old Testament, therefore we're allowed to do violence now. And, I mean, Jesus would say the same thing today that he was saying back then. Uh, in in New Testament times, when people are like, "Hey, what about this whole eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth stuff?" Jesus strikes that down too. He's like, "Listen, that's just because you want that to be what the Bible says doesn't mean that's what the Bible says." Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take it a step further and say, "Hey, if someone hits you, let them hit you again." Like he he's just taking all the way in the other direction. And it's not that he's contradicting the old law because if you read the Old Testament and you see all these wars and all these kings and such, like. That's not God like saying, okay, I'm going to need you to have these wars. I'm going to need you to have these kings. That's him basically just letting them have their way for a little bit. Yeah. Like kind of meeting them in the middle, so to speak, because they're, they're saying we, we want a physical king or whatever. And like God knows his people and he's sitting there going, okay, if maybe we can find some benefit from this, I will allow you to, to have a all this. All this was done with God's permission. Not his endorsement. There's a strong difference between the two. He's not establishing these rules. You need to have a king that reigns for this long, and you need to have this many chariots in, their, in your army. Absolutely the opposite. He says, don't have a standing army. Have just a bunch of volunteers with pitchforks. And because I am God, I will make you win anyway. Like, don't don't rely on these physical things. So just as we do today, I mean, people at the time, they, they looked at that Old Testament and did not read between the lines one bit. They're like, oh, hey, uh, David killed Goliath. And also he had this crew of basically the Avengers that went around like killing people with their bare hands and stuff. So clearly we should be doing that too. No, just because they did it doesn't mean that's what Jesus is telling you to do. So that, again, the consistency of God's character, you can see in Jesus' words in there and his actions, like it all rings true. It's all consistent. I think one aspect, too, about the feeding of the 5,000 that isn't mentioned later on, and I think it's it's perceived, I think one reason why John uh, makes mention of this young boy giving the five loaves and, and, the, and the three fish, is that because of his faithfulness to give all that he had, I think we can apply that to now, is that like, you know, if we give all that we have, and you see this as a motif throughout Scripture all the time, if we give everything we got in faithfulness, then God can multiply that in magnificent ways, in a way that is almost seen like, well, how in the world can that even be done? But yet, Lord can use that, and God can use that for His benefit for sure. And not only within uh, this, but you see um, that with the woman with the the oil in the Old Testament with Jeremiah. You know, with with the oil, you know that with a little bit of oil, and she kept on pouring and pouring, and she had faith. And and, and Jeremiah told her, "It's like, where was it? Isaiah? Somewhere in the Bible, somewhere in the Old I, Testament. I, I can't remember, but um, the, the woman with the, the the pitcher of oil, and it comes down to faithfulness. Uh, and I think I, I, I posted this on uh, Facebook last week, Elijah." Elijah, okay. Uh, faithfulness is better than perceived effectiveness, uh, and that's actually a quote from Preston Sprinkle, and and I totally agree. Is because you know if you want to feed five thousand people, it makes sense to have a lot of money and to chuck out change to feed all these people, 
but the faithfulness of Christ for one, but the faithfulness of this little boy to give all that he had to Christ, it achieved something greater than what perceived effectiveness could ever do. And I think that us as Christians, that we need to take that into consideration. It is like, you know, when it comes to uh, the political game, when it comes to uh, friends and family and everything and church life and everything, everything that we do, faithfulness needs to come before perceived effectiveness for sure. So thank you, Preston, for that little quote. Thank you. And thank you, Jesus, for setting examples. Yes, setting examples, Jesus. You're, you're my true, true hero. Another example that Jesus provides for us in John chapter six is how to uh, how to properly walk on water. He he teaches us how um, you just you just do it. That's hold on a second, hold on a second. <laughs> so you're assuming that that is possible, and you can't tell me growing up at a pool that you guys did not try this. Oh, you best believe. <laughs> try running across the other hand on top of the water. You know that you at least. Oh, oh man, I have faith. I have faith to walk across water. You know, it makes me really think I do because as you see all these viral videos of people like shooting down these, you know, water slides and they'll slide across the whole pool. And I'm thinking, how? <laughs> you ain't Jesus. It's like those lizards <laughs> that can you? just uh, sprint across the water. Those water striders? May, the, no, the bugs. Water Jesus striders lizards. are like the huh? Jesus things. lizards? Uh, no, I'm thinking water striders, those little bugs that, have, that, that they... Yeah. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about they look like iguanas, maybe? Yeah, they're literally called, like, I'm almost positive. Oh, okay. Jesus lizards. Jesus lizards? Okay. I, I'm sure you're right. Well, we'll go with it. Well, I mean, I don't know what they're called, so. Um, but yeah, Jesus provides some pretty solid instruction on that. <laughs> but verses 16 through 21 are on that miracle. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't this, like, the same... Um, instance in which like Peter goes and walks in the water. And I believe so. And yeah, it's just it's not, not mentioned, mentioned in, in John. Yeah, correct. Okay. So that, because I was thinking about that um, and I was like, what? Because keeping in mind uh, what was established already, that the purpose of the book of John is to establish like Jesus is the son of God and I'm going to mm-hmm. provide as much proof as possible within the scripture. So what is there to gain in omitting Peter to further like establish Jesus is the son of God? Mm-hmm. And I was I was thinking that over because I mean obviously I'm no like graduate level theologian or anything so the things I'm about to say very well could be argued back and forth not in my favor but but here here is the the layman's uh, Matthew Thompson take on why Peter doesn't and show it could up. be changed tomorrow Who uh, oh yeah I change my mind every stinking day it's ridiculous uh, be careful with that not not on the grain the grain. Jesus did that okay Jesus okay. did that yeah, yeah well, you're entitled to be wrong. <laughs> But I think that, like, Peter doing that, like, when, when he went out and walked on the water, like, him doing that, oh, boy, now that I'm about to say this, I, I'm nervous. I don't want to speak out of turn here. Like, I don't, I'm not saying it doesn't bring God glory, but it brings glory to Peter in a human sense. Because when you're reading that scripture... And um, and you're reading like, oh, Peter gets to walk on water. That's intense. Like it, it makes you kind of in your mind put Peter on a on a pedestal. 
I mean, because I, I mean, I, I know that I personally do. I mean, which is why he has to get knocked down a peg when he denies Christ three times. I think there's a bit of equalization that goes on yeah. in his life there, uh, and that's the reason that those two instances are hammered down in in the New Testament. Like those two stories are told, I believe, to have that compare and contrast. Like, hey, Peter had these really high highs, and he also had these really low lows. But the Book of John is not about Peter. It's about Jesus and yeah. showing that he is the Son of God, and he can do all these things because he is the Son of God. He is God incarnate. Peter walking on water doesn't lend itself to that because it glorifies Peter a little too Just much. a little bit, yeah, I, I agree. To the reader. I'm not saying that yeah. like the Bible has the intent of glorifying Peter. Absolutely not. Um, or what? what's the phrase that Paul uses? It's absolutely not in some versions. It's God forbid in some versions. By no means. By no means. <laughs> All right. I did it. Whew. That was... Man, that was tough. You're looking at me with such that was tough. Right hey, I, di- I didn't see you bringing it up. Come on. But that that is my unofficial official opinion on yeah. why. why but what, so, but the thing is, though, with this story, though, why do you think Jesus walked on water? Why 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 do you think that this was a thing? Do you think that Jesus was like, "Yo, I'm about to show up," you know, "I'm about to be that little ghostly figure in the side and scare my disciples"? Do you think he was playing a playing a prank on them? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, why do you think that Jesus walked on water? It does almost read like a prank in some ways. <laughs> in all honesty, I mean the literal reason that this shows up is because John uh, provides seven miracles throughout the Book of John. So the the boring, objectively correct answer is this was a miracle. But why? Because there's no significance upon anybody except for the disciples. Jesus calming the sea. Yeah. But yet Jesus walking on water. Why? And I I have I have a, a possible answer for this but why do you think that jesus walked on water well the one note that i took on this bit of scripture uh, is on verse 20 specifically which is i mean it's jesus's words there when he says to them it is i do not be afraid because many of the disciples freaked out when they saw him and i think that there's a little bit of uh, character building there i mean the the narrative element of scripture there coming into play establishing that like the hearts of the disciples showing what kind of relationship Jesus has with the disciples. Like, Jesus is doing his thing. I mean, I mean Jesus is always doing his thing. I mean, mm-hmm. he's Jesus. And the disciples are always just a little off base. They never are completely on the same page as him. So when you have Jesus, I mean, the, the Son of God, God incarnate. How many times have I said that already? You'd think that, like, the disciples would have figured out that, like, Jesus is a pretty cool dude that can do pretty cool stuff. So when they see a guy, like, walk across the water, you would think that, like, disciples... The, the disciples would be like, oh, hey, clearly that's Jesus over there because who on earth else could be walking on water in these sorts of elements? But no, they get freaked out. I mean, it's like whenever people see angels. Well, that's they, what it was they, a ghost. Yeah, yeah, like I said, like they, yeah. they're, they're not in that frame of mind. Like, it's so easy to say this when you weren't alive back then, but I would like to think that if I'm traveling with Jesus on a daily basis and I see some weird looking figure walking on the water, my brain's just going to go to, oh, well, there's Jesus. <laughs> well, I think the, the main reason, I think and G- one reason why John is is discoursing this whole, whole story and narrative of miracles throughout his book is to prove the divinity of Christ. Okay. And so if someone has the ability to walk on water... Obviously, he has the ability to control water. And so there's a cross-reference of Job chapter 9, verse 8. And I think that with Job, they know the story of Job. It's one of the most—scholars say it's probably the oldest written text, even sometimes— some people say even older than probably the Moses uh, the, of the, the Torah. So it's, it's dictated as one of the oldest written texts, but yet 
in Job chapter 9, verse 8, it says, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. And I was just kind of thinking, I was reading, I was thinking, man, what if Jesus is trying to get that picture of like, okay, remember Job and what I said back then is that I can tread on the waves of the sea. I'm trying to jog their memory that I have control of everything, even nature itself, that I'm proving my divinity by walking on water and calming the storm itself. So he's trying, he's, he's further showing evidence of like, look, here I am. I'm the one that has control over everything. And you can apply this to every, you've heard people, well, Jesus can calm the storms and of your life, blah, 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 you know, those simple moralisms. But the thing is, though, is that Jesus is further showing evidence of who he is, that he is God incarnate in the flesh. So here I have two questions. We can get some apologetic I guess. But so scientists have, you know, have said, you know, this is something that's not explainable. But there's two things that people say. I mean, I, I, I want to hear, hear y'all's first initial thoughts. But could it have been just low tide? Could Jesus have just been walking on, on like low tide and, and stuff like that? And two, did Jesus actually walk on water or was he just walking on ice? Because <laughs> those are two uh, secular explanations of Jesus walking on water in, in this instance. That he didn't really walk on water, it was just low tide or he was walking on ice. What's y'all's initial thoughts on that? I definitely don't think ice is a possibility. Mm-hmm. And their, their reasoning, I, I was researching, I was like, what? where in the world do they get this? They say that there was a cold, like, mini ice age probably within that time frame is that there would be some times where the temperature would drop down to 25 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm thinking, yeah, but is that cold enough for it to freeze ice on the Sea of Galilee enough to where Jesus can walk on water and have the boat rocking in the waves of a storm? I'm thinking, to me, that doesn't make sense. I'm not a scientist, but yet it's just that one seems really weak to me. Yeah, there's no way with that much water tension and, I mean, an actual ship that the disciples mm-hmm. are probably on. Uh, and it, like it says, with, it says with the winds and stuff blowing like that, I, don't, I just don't see there's any way that ice has a ways, way to form. On a body of water that big, it would have to be well, well below zero Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. To, to even, think enough for Jesus to to search to on that even sucker. think about ice on a yeah on a on a small on a large pond you know much less the Sea of Galilee so uh, no I don't think there's any scientific like even scientific like way you know they want to say all the science can say it got twenty five degrees no yeah no which I think on uh, the Facebook page I, I I think I asked a question uh, that if Signs and miracles are able, and if it was a sign of miracle back in first century or in scripture, and if you can explain them naturally today, does it lose its affinity and gravitas behind it of being a miracle or a sign? So like signs and wonders of like the moon rise, the sun rises and the moon comes up at night. People saw that as like, well, that's awesome. That's a, that's a, that's a sign from God. But then if it's naturally explained, does that lose its special significance behind it and this i don't there's no way i can there's no way i can explain this and i don't think you can they're just trying i think that secular scientists are trying to rationalize it and try to disprove and discredit jesus divinity 
if y'all let me go off for a couple minutes, I'll tell you a story that my physics teacher, or not story, but uh, an, expl an explanation of what we would consider an Old Testament miracle. It's off topic, but it, I mean, it's, I mean, it's it kind of goes with it. Yeah, it's pertinent. It goes with it. The, uh, the, the splitting of the Red Sea with Moses. Oh, I think I've heard a little bit about this. But continue. There is, um, if you look it up, I, it, I would have to go back and do a little bit more research about it, but there is a section of the Red Sea uh, where it is, it, it's a very narrow, I think it's it's a couple miles still, but it's not like crossing, you know, almost 100 miles. You know, I think it's about a mile and a half, two miles. And there is actually what, uh, kind of like how you said, like a low tide on the mm -hmm. Sea of yeah. Galilee. Yeah. It's basically more or less like a sandbar. Uh, across a certain, a very, very narrow, I think it's only about a hundred yards wide, um, but it stretches across this little section of the Red Sea. And now it is about, like I said, I could be giving you false numbers. It's significantly shallower than the Red Sea itself in the middle. I think if I remember right, it's between 10 to 20 feet deep. And if the wind blows, if I remember this correctly, from the southeast at a certain speed it actually will blow the water off of that sand and it looks like and i know what you're talking about and it, it will look like, like there's splits. no water so, yes yeah. and it will look like and it, it will it will appear to be dry and you actually can walk across it. and like mm -hmm. i said you will have to go down and walk across and walk up and people say that's where they think moses done it at and now here's why i say this though how often are you going to get those winds especially at that time i don't think the fact that that might be a possibility i mean Personally, I mean, you can discredit me if you want to. I think that probably is where it happened. It just because people try to say science disproves God. No, I, God made the earth, and part of the earth is science. Science is going to point back to God, in my opinion. Uh, I think God used that or sensed mm -hmm. the wind down there to split the Red Sea so that Moses and them could leave. And I mean, uh, what happened as soon as Israel get across? Well, the the sea closed up. I think he just kind of as uh, like he can Jesus can control the water and the storms of this thing. He can control when the wind blows through too. So I, mm -hmm. personally, you know, things like that, how you can explain things naturally, uh, you know, with the wind blowing through and pushing the water aside, and then all of a sudden the wind stops and the the waters come back through. I, I don't think that disc it shouldn't discredit any story at all. It shouldn't, which I totally agree. Because I mean, when we think of which, I mean, this, I want to relate it. It, it relates because I mean, I don't think you need to compare the Red Sea with Jesus walking on water. Because I mean, God has control and ability to do all things with all of creation. Mm -hmm. If it is just a sandbar and the wind spreading the water, versus. The sea splitting and, you know, the, the, the Prince of Egypt top, you know, Moses stories that you see on Hollywood all the time, splitting up like a mile high in the air. It doesn't matter. No. None of this, the story is that the Israelites. It escaped. isn't how deep did they go into the, you know. No, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't do anything. It just says, oh, okay, they escaped, even though. Mm -hmm. Even though it's a little bit not as grandiose as we see in the movies. But yet it is something that God still does. Huh? I said that's Hollywood for you. Yeah, that's Hollywood. They they, they definitely hype, hype things up. But I think that Jesus' in, instance of walking on the water is something completely supernatural of Christ being God and showing his ability to water bend and walk on water <laughs> versus <laughs> Moses' ability to water bend. Well, God using Moses because God yeah. is a... But I mean, that, yeah, that's just another side story of, you know, 
if if something can be, can be explained naturally, does that should it lose its meaning? Absolutely not. Because yeah. you know that's one of those things. By no that means. People, by no means. By no means. <laughs> Thank you. Should Paul. it be discredited? Yeah. And I mean, there's plenty of other things, but that was just the one that popped back in my mind because, uh, like I said, uh, my uh, old physics teacher taught us, well, taught me in part of the small group of FCA that we had at the high school, and it just blew my mind to think about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that we... Oh, there's a lot. There's we'll, a lot. We'll come to that. Actually, I'll uh, I'll bring up some as we get towards the end of John. Okay. Sweet. So, uh, but that's a few episodes away, so... <laughs> one, one final note before we move on to the verses 22 through 71. I do find it hilarious that people would like to discredit some of these miracles, like Jesus walking on water. Oh, well, it was ice or, oh, he, it was low tide, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well, he also created the earth. So, like, where <laughs> where are you putting your bar for being impressed here? Like, but the thing is, though, you're, the, the, same, the ones that are saying this are saying that this earth came from nothing. This The universe came from nothing. That the thing is, I was like, okay, you know, you, you and this is one thing when, when it comes to, like, science in Christianity, yeah, the Big Bang happened. God, Big Bang, did, you know, it, it happened. And so, and these terminologies and stuff like that, and it is, I think we need to be a little bit more open with the conversation with people instead of being like, the Big Bang didn't happen. It didn't happen. It's like, yeah, let's, let's conversate about this. Let's talk about this. And here's the thing when it comes to uh Creation and stuff like this. This is. I'll say this, and, I, and we'll, we'll move on. But uh, a good pastor, for, uh, pastor that helped me out a lot. He said, "As long as you believe that God could have done it in six literal days, there should be no problem." So evolution versus creation. Well, evolution creationism versus a young earth creationism. As long as you believe that God can and could have done it in six days, there shouldn't be a, there shouldn't be a debate. There shouldn't be because then. Because we all know if God is omnipotent, He can do it. So, anyways. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it'd be foolish not to agree with that. Often, mm-hmm. but... so you've got feeding of the five thousand, five thousand plus people, and you got Jesus walking on water within. A short time of 20 verses. I mean, two huge monumental events that Jesus has been present of and, and done. So the third one, not a miracle, but one of the greatest teachings uh, of Christ. And it's part of the I Am statements. Uh, so this is the bread of life discourse. Uh, so Matthew, I think you uh, you were talking about verse 21, was it? You were making mention of 21 or something? Verse 21 still on the oh, walking on water. I'm sorry. But, I mean, I do have plenty to talk about here. I mean, yeah. it's just a lot of interesting stuff takes place. I mean, for one, it's just a, a massive amount of verses. Yeah. Um, but if we want to look at this through the lens of the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and walking on water, um, I was just trying to, like, I was trying to look back and forth between these two scriptural blocks and try to see, like, okay, what, how can I read verses 22 through 71 with those miracles in mind? Like, there, clearly there's a reason that all this is John chapter 6. There's got to be some some relation there. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, I mean, goodness, just reading off from the top, uh, starting in verse 22. It says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. 
other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So, that, I mean, that directly ties in to the yeah. feeding the 5,000 because it was established uh, in that last verse, uh, I think it was verse 15, where Jesus is actively aware that these people are ready to, to forcefully like declare him king and be like, this this is the man who's going to conquer Rome for us. This, this is the guy who's going to rule the earth with, with a sword. And, and on that, uh, on that, uh, that white steed that I think you referenced, Tanner, um, but that that's not what what Jesus is. But no. it's established that like him, him getting away from that to, to make that statement like, look, I'm not going to let you declare me to be something that I'm not. But that mindset is still there. Like well, he's he's still got this growing fan club for better or for worse. Well, verse 26, Jesus he says, I assure you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. And so the people are wanting Jesus for selfish reasons. Exactly. Which now he's more talking about uh, physical and, and needs and the things of like, you saw what I did with the 5,000. You saw what I did here. You just want me again. You're just trying to use and abuse me, guys. Yeah. And so the people, they want Jesus for the selfish reasons to see miracles or the selfish reasons of being fed. You know, they're just lazy bums. Uh <laughs> <laughs> wanting a handout basically from Christ you know it's like you know show us a, a parlor trick you know you know we want to see this miracle again do something else Jesus you know do 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 something for us yeah and Jesus being the the poetic genius as always because you would think like in this situation if you try to put yourself in uh, Jesus's Jerusalem cruisers um, how how would this go over Jesus fed the 5,000 and and the public is fully aware of that and he's got this little little growing fan club as a result. And people are like, oh man, this this guy fed, uh, well, realistically between fifteen and twenty thousand people with just a couple loaves of bread and, and a couple fish. So, when this supposedly backfires, I'm putting some air quotes there around that because people are more impressed by just the miracle itself than like the meaning behind it and who this individual is and how should we perceive this individual. They're just they're seeing him as a court jester more or less, and they're just like, hey, do another flip for us. Uh, this could very easily be seen as like a failure on Jesus's part. Like Jesus did this miracle and it, it didn't land right. We're going to have to go back to the drawing board guys. If we want to make sure that Jesus is established as being this um, servant that is not coming to serve, but or not to, to be served, but to serve like evidently the, the fiend 5,000 didn't establish that. So let, let's go, let's go back and um, really brainstorm with the disciples and figure out what, what's, what's a different thing that I can do and, and restart. I need, I need to shave my beard, change my identity, come back as a different dude and, and start all over from scratch. Now Jesus takes that. And he's like, Oh, we, we can still work with this. And in verse 17 or not 17 in verse 27, he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you for on him, God the Father has set his seal. So, I mean, he's still out here dropping spiritual knowledge, even though, like, people just continue to miss the mark. Like, I I know this is a wacky sentence to say, but I sympathize with Jesus so much. <laughs> the immense struggle of having to deal with a population that is just determined to not understand where he's coming from is, I mean, it's admirable when you see, like, how he responds to it, because he's always so level-headed. I mean, he's, goodness, he's perfect, one could say. Mm. So to summarize the, the thoughts around that, because I kind of got little word spaghetti there. Um, back in the Feeding the 5,000 story, people are ready to, to forcibly accept Jesus as king. And he wants to explain to people, I am not king in the way that you think king means. And in that same vein, now he's saying, I am the bread of life. I am bread, mm-hmm. but I am not bread in the way that you think 
Brad is. Yeah. So he's just continuing to flip the script on people, and I mean that consistency is it. It's beautiful to see some Christ-like consistency. Yeah. Well, then uh, later on he makes mention that you know the the fathers, you know Moses, they brought down manna from heaven, and God sent manna from heaven, and Jesus is automatically making the references like you know. God sent down manna from heaven, but you were still hungry. And look, your fathers and the prophets, they're dead. So that manna that sent from heaven didn't give you everlasting life. But now the real manna from heaven, the real bread of life, if you take part of it, is me. And if you take part of me, you will have eternal life. And so Jesus, he's saying, you know, listen, I am the bread of life. Anyone who takes part of me will have everlasting life. And this becomes one of the hardest teachings that Jesus has within all of his, his teachings. And this is where it, it definitely takes a shift for people to realize who in the world is this dude and what in the world is he talking about, for sure. Yeah. And then continue on, because goodness, we still have so much scripture to cover. Um, I mean, I put notes on basically every single verse here because this is all just golden stuff. So verses 28 through 29, um, I get a new feel from what the people that are talking to Jesus are, are trying to convey. Because they ask here in verse 28, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them and said, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. And when I read that, like I kind of said to myself, Huh, so it's that easy, really? <laughs> Uh, this is another example, I think we've touched on this before, that Jesus, by bringing in the new law and by dying on the cross for our sins, he made following God simpler. He didn't make it easier. So this is kind of a, another bit of scripture that um, kind of brought that, that thought back. Well, he's also referring back to like the law doesn't save yeah, you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but then one more verse before I continue on. Uh, verse 30 says, So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? You know what that mindset that comes through in that verse reminds me of that, we, that we've read on already? Someone trying their absolute darndest to understand what Jesus is saying, but they fall just a little short. Well, it's kind of, I think they're, they're asking, give me, there's proof in the pudding. Yeah. Type thing. It's like, give me proof that you know what you're saying. And Jesus, I'm, I'm, I can see Jesus doing a, a face palm. Like, did you not see what I just did? Just just yesterday with the five thousand, did you not see what I did yeah. with with the the centurion's son? Did you not see apparently with the grain on the side of the field? <laughs> but I mean, did you? I mean, did you not see the things that I've done? I can just see Jesus is like, fine. If you're not getting this, just listen to the words I have to say. Listen to the, the, the I'm the bread of life, but yet no one likes that. Yeah, and I, I agree with that, but I was still getting that feel like from Nicodemus is who I was referencing. Cause, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay, I, I didn't know if that didn't land or if y'all just I, thought I, that I, was a dumb <laughs> reference. Because I was getting kind of that same idea. Because Nicodemus, he, he fell short, but he was trying, dang it, and I got to give him credit I don't think that. these people are trying. I, I, don't, I, I think the ones that just wanted to see a miracle, those that wanted manna, I don't think those people were really trying. Well, and I do agree with that to an extent because, I mean, obviously, like, these people don't have the exact same mind as, as Nicodemus. Like, I, I'm not sitting here saying this; these people are just a bunch of other Nicodemi. What's the plural for that? <laughs> um, but when I read, like, verse 28, they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Like, yeah, there's probably some selfish intent behind that because 
maybe they're thinking, how do I turn five loaves of bread into 5,000 loaves of bread so that I don't have to have to work for my food anymore? Like maybe that's where they're coming from, but also maybe they're like legitimately asking like, Oh, is this, is this happening? Is this real? Is this, is this, is this the guy? If I ask him how to do stuff, like, is he going to be able to like enlighten me? Yeah, sure. I'd like to learn. Maybe, maybe there is some good intent behind there. I mean, I, who's to say, I don't know. I wasn't there. And then again, in verse 30, uh, they say, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Yeah, sure. I, I agree that behind that, there there could have been a lot of like uh, malicious intent. Like, hey, do another flip for us, Jesus. Pr- prove your worth. Be, be king of the Jews. But there might be some honesty behind that. I don't know. I feel like it could go a little either way. But that's... No. <sighs> if they truly wanted the truth and if they truly wanted... Oh, yeah. There's definitely some conflict there. Yeah. I, I, then they would have stayed. Because, I mean, later on... Yeah, I mean, I'm not, like, stating that, like, these guys, again, like, these guys are just a bunch of... Well, they're still they're still focused on... These guys are still focused on works-based salvation. Yeah. They're still yeah. focused on the law. Because I think they're, they're questioning of, like, if salvation is only by belief in the one that sent him, and if you're claiming to be this guy, it can't be that easy. I mean, they're, they're probably thinking, there's got to be more to it than just believing in what you're saying. And what you're saying is really hard right now. It so, can't be that easy. So you don't think there was any, like, honest attempt to understand behind their Well, I think there was because it says okay. they're arguing. Right. Yeah, they're arguing that's and discussing. Like, I know that they're not hitting the mark, but I feel like they're, they're almost there mentally. But they're, they're arguing and discussing and not actually listening. Yeah, yeah, agreed, 100%, yeah. And I think that's that's important even within today and in our spiritual lives is that like you know we argue and bicker over doctrines we argue and bicker over uh, theological points but yet we don't sit here and listen to the Holy Spirit we don't sit here and listen to your point or and then you to my point and try to learn to what the Lord is actually trying to say it's like oh no you're wrong I'm right you know it, it's that's it's that type of deal and I think that we don't want to listen to the truth because we don't want to know the truth we want to know our objective truth and here i think most of these people that left that decided not to follow no more they was like it's too hard for me uh to understand what you're saying uh i don't want no part of it yeah and i mean to to your credit tanner which again i I agree with what you're saying um like these people being focused on the physical and on like the parlor tricks and on the hey give us the the king that we think that that we need um but then, like, further on, verse 31 says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. It is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So then, I mean, hey, at least they're, they're using some scriptural references here. i got to give them some credit for that. So does the devil. Hey. Just saying. Oh, well, dang it. Now, I'm, uh, not, I'm not trying to discredit them, but I'm just saying. I just got smacked down. Okay. Uh, <laughs> verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So, again, Jesus established there be like, Hey, I'm, I mean, really what I'm reading into that is Jesus making clear, I'm not just another prophet. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm God. Like I'm, I'm here. I'm the guy. Like I, I am the finish line. All that stuff it led up to me. Like Moses, yeah, he did some cool stuff. But why do you think he did it? How, how do you think he did it? Because of me. So that and God working through Moses. But yet Jesus spoke in metaphors all the time, and people that's just too hard. That's too hard for them. 
Yeah. And then uh, verse 34, it's borderline adorable. Uh, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Like, again, it almost feels like, it feels like they're trying. They're trying. They're failing, but they're trying. <laughs> like, hey, uh, about that bread again, Jesus, uh, where, oh goodness, where are we at in this conversation? Can you, can you, can you give us the bread? Give, give it to us, please. Always, please. What? <laughs> I, th- I still think they're missing the mark with that statement, with that question. Oh, clearly. Yeah. I think they're still working on like physical sustenance instead of an actual relationship. Yeah, it's a swing and a miss. But They're looking for the benefits other than the actual part of it that's important. Yeah. You know, they want that they want that ticket punch of, man, I would like to have free food every day on my table. Yeah. You know, instead of like, well, who's bringing the food? Who's bringing that eternal life to the table? Yeah. They, they've they identified the effect, but they haven't quite wrapped their head around the cause yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like I said, it's a swing and a miss, but I'm, I'm just trying to acknowledge, like, hey, there's a swing there. They're missing, but they swung. That's something. <laughs> I think it's just the natural part of humanity is that we swing a lot of times and we miss. Oh, yeah. So then in verses uh, 35 through 40, you have Jesus establishing, like, again, like, he is the bread of life, and he goes a little further in detail on what that means. And then verses 41 and 42, you have the people around, uh, it says grumbling in my version of the Bible, um, because he's claiming that he's the bread from heaven. I mean, he's making this claim that he's the Son of God, which, for the millionth time, that is, that's the goal that, that John has set out to accomplish here in writing the book of John. Um, so they're sitting here saying, how, how can this be? This, this guy can't be the son of God. So going even further from them just misunderstanding what like this spiritual bread even is, like when they do start wrap, wrapping their heads around like what he's mean by this, then, then they get offended because, I mean, that, that's a bold claim in all mm-hmm. fairness, which, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. reading it, duh, he's Jesus. But there was that debate there that you can uh, see. A little bit of world building in the book of John. And after that, Scripture continues, uh, Jesus really just drills home the whole like bread of life thing, and we won't spend too much time on that. Uh, but one one funny little thing that I want to point out before we get, let's say, to down to verse 60, um, verses 52, mm, we'll just say 52 and 53, I don't want to spend too much time on this, uh, it says, The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And that just uh, kind of came out to me because personally, I had never really focused on like verses that um, to some denominations or religions, whatever you want to call them, of believing in the concept of transubstantiation, which is the concept that when you partake in a uh, Passover feast, Communion. Goodness, why did I say Passover feast? Terribly sorry. When you uh, partake in communion, when you eat the bread or the wafer or whatever, and drink the the grape juice or the wine, that it actually turns into flesh and blood in your system, which, I mean, there's other scripture that we will get to in a future episode that debunks that pretty solidly. 
but this is one that that concept comes from. And that, I just thought it, it kind of it brought a little smile to my face reading. I'm like, oh, that's where they get that from. <laughs> and, yeah. of course, there was that misunderstanding by the Jews within that scripture. So there you go. Uh, but on to, to verse 60, Tanner, if you want to kick us off there. So this whole bread of life discourse that he gives, you know, it's it's pretty repetitive. And even with the point of, like, the this this other weird doctrine of transcendent transubstantiation uh and i'm pretty sure i didn't say that great it's a big word for me uh, you tried i tried i failed uh but th- that concept of that even it seems like they're not getting it they're missing the mark and jesus is like i'm trying to lay it out as best as i can i'm even referencing moses and manna from heaven and i'm doing all this mess and they just don't get it. And in verse, starting in verse 60, it, it comes to a point where it's just like, all right, the people are listening. It's like, this is too hard for us. We've argued back and forth of what you're, what you're saying. But it, it's just, we're not getting it. It's too hard of a saying. I'm done. And then we've got a lot of people leaving Christ. We have probably hundreds to thousands of people leaving and not be following Jesus no more because it's like, he just... The stuff that he's teaching, it's just too hard for me to understand. Or the stuff that he's teaching, I don't get it. Or I don't want to get it. It's too hard for me to follow. It's just like, well, does it make sense? I mean, why do I need to give up the law? And it's, or why, why is the law uh, different now? I mean, why is Jesus changing things up here? And here, the disciples are the only ones left. The twelve are the only ones left. And Jesus is basically comes to them and says, so are are you guys offended by this too? Because, I mean, the gospel itself, if you look at Christ himself, is going to be naturally offensive. It is. It's going to bring light to your darkness, and it's going to bring uh, openness to the skeletons in your closet in the sense of, like, you should be offended in the sense of when you read the gospel. And so Jesus, he basically shows the character of himself and the sense of like, you know, I will offend, this This is offensive. And so are you offended? And I think that being offended in the sense of like not really making fun of, in the sense, because when we hear a word offended, oh, well, I'm offended because you made fun, fun that I'm wearing a ball cap in church. I'm offended by that. But not in that sense. Jesus is like, you're you're probably offended because I'm making you look stupid. <laughs> you know? But with the gospel being naturally offensive and it is inherently offensive to people, he makes a contrast between two people is that there are those who legitimately believe and those that have mere interest. And he goes on to say, is like, you know, that there are some here he said he even makes a uh, makes a statement it's like you know you guys are here you're the only ones left out of the thousands that have followed and want to see the miracles but yet even now there's one here that is not in it for uh legitimate belief but yet he's only at a mere interest in gain of himself and he's referring to even judas and the future of his betrayal yeah, and I mean, Jesus says it himself. I mean, you, what you said basically is the, the Tanner Higgins version of verses 61 through uh, 64, I believe. Because, I mean, there's that acknowledgement that his uh, his disciples were, were grumbling. And he says in verse 61, do, do you take offense to this? 
Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning uh, who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So on the topic of that verse, what do you think that uh, that verse 64 says about, about predestination? Because I'm, I'm getting some predestination vibes from that verse. Like what? What do you think um, Jesus is saying when, or what Scripture here is saying in the in the little parentheses area there in six, verse sixty four, where it says, "For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him." Now, just to give like a personal, partial answer on myself before I demand answers from y'all, uh, saying and who it was who would betray him. I mean, obviously, like there was that foreknowledge of Judas betraying because that's I mean that's part of the grand plan I mean goodness it would be an insult to God to say that he didn't know that Jesus was going to betray him that that's part of him dying on the cross I mean that I have no qualms against that I'm asking mainly about that part knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe what I'm, I'm confused I'm confused are you referring wait what are we talking about now are we talking about Judas or are we talking about Predestination. He's talking about predestination. Yeah. Okay. In relation to, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. So are you referring to Judas? No, because Judas is referenced and who so it where, was. So where did Judas come from? Those who would betray him. And who it was who would betray him. I was going ahead and acknowledging that, like, that I don't think falls into predestination necessarily. Oh. Because that was just, I mean, of course he knew Judas was going to betray him. That's, that's part of the whole crucifixion plan. So do you think that Jesus predestined Judas to sin against him and to betray him? Is that part of the is that part of the plan for Judas? Did he need Judas to be crucified? Not necessarily Judas. The goal I mean that action needed to be taken and it might not necessarily been have been by Judas if he was on a different like life path. I mean, I'm sure there were other avenues if we lived in a reality in which Judas like stayed faithful. I mean, hey, maybe maybe Peter would have done it. Who knows? Who who's to say that they needed someone to betray him? Yeah, I don't think that. They I don't think they needed someone to betray him. I th- I think they would have found evidence enough to to crucify him, and they would have. It, they don't well, need eventually. Yeah. Well, I mean, even then, I don't think you need anybody. I mean, he just needed to be crucified to f- f- fulfill prophecies. Yeah, but I don't think he needed someone to betray him. Okay, fair enough. Then I mean, in that case, like that entire princess. I mean, honestly, the only thing Judas did was point out who, which one was Jesus. Yeah, but they knew. They and he knew. knew he was one of them. Yeah, the only thing Judas done was like, he's this one. Get away, <laughs> get away. Okay, well, I mean, I I accept being shot down on that theory, but that still leaves the question: like, what does this say about predestination? Like, what what do we get out of that that phrasing? For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe. Well, with God being omnipotent and omniscient, he knows all things. And he knew that Christ was going to come. I mean, that was part of the big plan. And only God can call sinners to repentance because, I mean, he's the one that shines light upon the truth. You know, if Jesus didn't come and if God didn't reveal himself to people, then there's no way that we could know the truth because the truth isn't in front of us. Because it it takes God to show the truth, but yet it takes 
us to accept that truth. So the depravity can't save us or lead us to Christ. You know, we can't be saved on our own merit. And I'm, I'm not a Calvinist by no means, but yet the total depravity part of the tulip stuff, I do agree with the total depravity that we cannot be saved whatsoever and we cannot have salvation or le- be led to salvation by just our by our own self. It has to take Christ to lead us and call us to that calling. Christ calls. You know, he's the one that does this. And through God, does Christ do this? What uh, what version of the Bible do you have in front of you? Uh, Holman Standard. Holman Christian Standard. Could you read verse 64? Uh, but there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe and the one who would betray him. Hmm. That's interesting. Because I was going to say, and keep in mind, this is my small layman's brain, so this might not even be like a legitimate point. I was going to say, I guess then you could uh, observe that since it says that he knew from the beginning those who did not believe, that that's not like make the statement of, oh, he's out here predestining people for the future because if that was the case, it would say he knew who would not believe. But that's what your version says. So Yeah. Well, I mean, he knew that Judas was going to betray him. Yeah. But yet he didn't stop ministering to him, did he? Yeah, that's true. So the same thing goes with us. is like even though that some people that we know are, are destined to eternal separation from God, does that mean that we need to stop Okay. All right. Preaching now, to them. Okay. This is an element of predestination that I was I had never thought of before. Okay. This 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 opens my eyes a little bit. So, this whole like the concept of predestination, kind of like lends itself to if someone is predestined to go to hell, like God doesn't care about them. They're already stamped. Mm-hmm. Even before they're born. Okay. So that's one thing I just can't get on board with the predestination train is because to me if he then he's counter he's he's contradicting himself in a lot of statements of like for God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but to save it through the redemption of sins and John 3:16 for God so loved the world that whoever whoever that to so whoever it's a broad statement to all believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life so whoever is a statement a broad statement for everybody. So if he cares for all of his creation, then that statement and that calling to eternal life, that bread of life goes to all. So the idea that God knows good and well, like who's going to reject him, Uh but he's still going to try is not a point in predestination's favor. Yeah. It's within the, the Calvinistic view. Yeah. Well, shoot, I learned something today. Man, that's, I, I honestly did not know oh, that. There you go. That, I didn't know that it went that far. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. So with the hard teaching of the bread of life and the hard things that Jesus is teaching about, and even with the hard things that we have to talk about today, even within the camp of, you know, evangelicalism and stuff like that, it seems like there's always a challenge of faith. There's always a challenge of faith from predestination to the bread of life. There has always been of like a difficult thing that is hard for us to bridge uh, to Christ or try to get to, and it comes down to it of that you know interest and action into uh, 
trying to understand Scripture, understand Christ, are not what saves us, but it is the submission of faith in Christ which can be credited only to God. The thing is, though, is that I think that we are just like the disciples here in verse 68, where Peter, he says, after Jesus is having this conversation, Peter, he says, where else would we go? And Jesus says, does this defend you? Do you want to leave with the rest of them? And Peter says, I, if you're the truth, which we have faith in you, even though it's hard for me to grasp, where else am I going to go? And and a lot of times it comes down, and this is the boiling point, that is this going to overflow or is this going to stay in the pot through faith? You know. And so I think Peter here and along with us, when we have difficult things that we read through Scripture and we don't understand it or when it comes to doctrinal issues and stuff like that, we have the same sentiment as Peter does. It's like, where else am I going to go? If this is such a hard thing, uh, and it, it, it's it's hard to see this and what you're trying to say, God, but where else am I going to go? And this is where faith steps in, and, and we hold to the words of eternal life. And I think that in the end, we can see at the end of John, Peter is a different guy that steps out and it says, okay, I, I, th- I think I understand. Even though he fails a couple more times in John, he's just like, I'm going to stick with it. Even though it's hard, even though it sucks at sometimes, I'm going to stick with it. And then it's going to benefit reward in Acts when you see the day of the Pentecost. And Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church upon you, Peter. You will be, be the beginning of the church. And so I think that's an interesting move of like Peter's like, I've got nowhere else to go but but you. You're the truth. If you if you are who you say you are, Jesus, then I will follow you. And I think that's what it takes for us. If we if we see all this evidence and the way that John has laid this picture out of miracles and signs, we need to have when we read this book, where else are we gonna go? If this is truly true, if this is what Jesus if this is who Jesus is, I've got nowhere else to go. It needs to be Christ. Yeah, and in a stark contrast to, to Peter um, having one of his high points, of like, oh, hey, this, this guy's got some faith. Then you have in verse uh, 70, and well, just the ending of this chapter, a little bit of foreshadowing, uh, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So, again, got that, that contrast, got Peter's faith, and then there's this establishment of, Hey, the storm's coming. Like, crap's going to go down. <laughs> so with that, I mean, that's that's chapter 6. We went uh, pre-editing. This this clock's in at a little over an hour and a half. So that good, good bit good bit of time for a, a good bit of verses. That's I think that's the most that we, we've covered in one sitting. Uh, but next week we'll, uh, well, I mean, we'll be talking about chapter 7. Surprise of that. Uh, but for now, this is this has been cross training. We're we're glad that you took time out of your day to listen to us. All of our social links are in show notes. We don't have to say them anymore. We're we're going to continue being lazy because I mean, goodness, you can just tap on them. You don't you don't need to hear us say it. Uh, our emails there as well. We're going to try to get that link to Adam Clagg's podcast. Tanner, if you could repeat the name of that. Every pastor's podcast. Okay, just want to make sure that I didn't want to say it wrong on accident. 
but check out that podcast. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Everything is in the show notes these days. We're we're going for maximum laziness. Content only in the podcast, Matthew said, as he continues to say things that aren't relevant. So until next week, Tanner, give us those magic words. Peace out.